morning. It's a privilege and an honor to be here with you to, to begin your camp meeting. I, I appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to share with you. Could I ask you to stand with me as we read the Scripture in reverence to God's Word? While you're doing that, would you turn to Matthew chapter 1? Matthew chapter 1. Matthew the first chapter, beginning in verse 1. Book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. And Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah. And Abijah the father of Asaph. And Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. And Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah the father of Jotham. And Jotham the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh. Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar. And Eleazar the father of Matthan, and Matthan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations, from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, fourteen generations. Please be seated. Now I am aware that when we read our Bible reading plans and our devotional reading, that this is a passage we largely skip. I know you do it. We skip over this and we go on to the 18th verse of Matthew and we read about the predictions of the birth of Christ and all those things that took place surrounding His birth. But if we will look in this passage, there is a message to be found. There is one to be known if we are willing to hear it. The family tree helps us to understand the circumstances that have brought us to the lives we live in the present day. Our family trees are important as we see the story woven together of all the influences on our lives. Influences of people that we know. Influences of some that we don't. A few years ago, I got a subscription to Ancestry.com and began to trace my family tree. On my dad's side of the family, I traced it back to the 1430s. On my mother's side, there were, we didn't get back quite as far, but it was interesting to read some of the things that took place and to understand what brought us to the present day and to the lives that we live and to the things that we see today. I come from a family of pastors. My dad is a pastor. My, brother is a, my oldest brother is a pastor. One of my other brothers just accepted the call to ministry over these past few weeks. My mother's dad was a pastor, and his dad before him. He was saved in 1918 under the ministry of H.M. Riggle in western Pennsylvania. He became a pastor. He left the coal mines to preach at the age of 14. Planted a number of churches in western Pennsylvania, some before he was 20 years old back and I see the history and I see the heritage that I have. You know, everything's not, every story's not as good. My mother's mom, her family moved from eastern Pennsylvania to western Pennsylvania. 
because one of the fathers back the line somewhere served his prison term in Clearfield, Pennsylvania, and they moved to western Pennsylvania to be closer to him while he, while he served time in prison. I'm not sure what it was for exactly, but that's what I've been able to read over the past. One of the ancestors on my dad's side of the family in the late 1800s, uh, my, my grandmother's family lives uh, to be very old. One of them died at 103. Not because of natural causes, the obituary I was able to find said that she set herself on fire lighting her pipe on the front porch. A hundred years later, that's a humorous story. It probably wasn't in that day. We look back over our history and we see the good things and the bad. We see the things that have taken place over the course of time. The same thing is true in the story of Jesus. We see the things that God did to weave together the story of His grace and His mercy. We see the things that God did and the, 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 the lengths to which He went to work out the story of the Gospel and to extend His grace to fallen man. We see all that God continues to do to promote the Gospel and to carry out the work of the Gospel in the name of Jesus Christ when we look back at the lineage of Jesus and we understand the history of the family tree. We see all that God did in preparation for the work that He wanted to accomplish and the work that He continues to accomplish through you and I today. We understand what God put in place. We understand what He overcame in the lives of people, who, some who were far from Him and some who had fallen. We see the ways that man had made mistakes and that God overcame those mistakes. We see throughout the history of the people of Jesus the power and the glory of God in spite of man's shortcomings and failures. In spite of the weakness of man, we see the glory of God. This family tree helps us to understand the traits of those who have been used by God to make a difference in the work that He wanted to do. To make a difference in the kingdom that He established through Jesus Christ. The family tree of Jesus shows us that life is neither common nor ordinary. And despite what they tell us in, our, in Washington today, life is not expendable. Life is something that is important and precious to God. It is something that is granted with a purpose. It is a gift given by God Himself. Life is something that originates with Him. It is something that is, that is subject to His judgment and to His work, not to our decisions and our whims. Life is not subject to our, to our convenience. It is not subject to our careers. It is not subject to our desires. Life is given by God and life is used by God. His purposes, not His work. And so we see as we read the family tree of Jesus, we see the ways that God has used the life of man. God has, has extended His mercy to this world through the life of man. We see all kinds of different backgrounds. All kinds of different people who in some way contributed to the work that God was doing. In some way contributed to the salvation which you and I experience today. We see the lives of people who, who have made a difference in the work of God. Not necessarily because of anything they've done. At times, because of their willingness to surrender. God works things out for His glory, even in their ineptitude and their weakness. We see God at work. 
It's important for us to understand that today because we live in a day where we desperately need the work of God. But if we're careful to look around us, we find that God is still at work. The God who worked through this family tree through 14 generations from from Abraham to David and 14 generations from David to a deportation and judgment and 14 generations of judgment. The same God is still at work today in a day where where we fight over abortion, in a day where people are fighting over the divisions in this country, in a day where our politics have become, uh, become far worse than we could have ever imagined. God is still at work. God is still moving in the lives of His people. And God is still carrying out His plan in the lives of those who will surrender to Him. And so we see here in the family tree of Jesus the kinds of people that God uses to carry out His work. The kinds of people through whose lives He can can move to make a difference in the lives of the generations to come. First, we find that God's people are diverse. They come from a number of different backgrounds. As we read this family tree, we find something that would have been an abomination to the Jews to whom Matthew wrote it. We find a number of Gentiles listed in the family tree of Jesus. To the Jews in the first century, that would have been unheard of to list Gentiles in that family tree, especially when Matthew is proclaiming Jesus the Messiah. We read of a number of women in this family tree. We read of people who have fallen short. We read of a prostitute. These people were, or where they had come from, God was at work in their lineage, weaving their lives together, weaving their stories together, so that they might make a difference in the world that was to come. God is always at work in the world around us. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul tells us, we know that for those who love God... For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purposes. And that has held true over the course of time. Abraham wandering in the desert. Whether it was David who had fallen short in so many ways. Whether it was people who lived in judgment and exile in a place like Babylon. In a place of religious pluralism and confusion. No matter where they found themselves, God continued to work in their lives. We read about it every time Abraham hears the voice of God. I don't know how he heard the voice of God when he was called out of the land of his fathers. I don't know if it was an audible voice. I don't know if God impressed upon his heart that it was time to leave. But we see God at work. We see God at work in the days of David the king and in the lineage that followed David the king. After Solomon the the kingdom was divided, and we don't see another king like David after that. God was still at work in a divided kingdom. Carried off to Babylon, we read the the visions of the prophet Ezekiel who was by the Kabar Canal with all the exiles and he saw a vision of the throne room of God. People who had been taken away from Jerusalem, the place where they knew the presence of God, the place where they knew the temple of God, they had been taken away from there found themselves in captivity to an evil nation. And even there, the prophet Ezekiel saw the throne of God among his people. The throne of God remains among his people today because God is still at work. God works through diverse people who come from various backgrounds and he continues to work through diverse and different people today. 
Paul told the Corinthian church, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. He told the church in Ephesus, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We hear a lot of talk about diversity within the church at large today and within our culture and society. We hear about how strong our diversity makes us and how great our diversity is. Let me point something out to you this morning that may not be popular. But it's not our diversity in itself that makes us strong. It's the unity that we find. People being called out of those diverse backgrounds and united in Jesus Christ that makes us strong. It is the unity that God brings among His people within the hearts of those who know Christ. It is that that provides a foundation for us to be the people of God and to carry out the work of God in the world today. Our diversity is an illustration of the lengths to which God will go and the power which God will display to unite people who have come from vastly different places. An illustration of the greatness of God and the power of God to overcome whatever baggage we might carry, to overcome whatever backgrounds may have shaped and formed us, to unite us in Jesus Christ. God has called people from diverse places and backgrounds. He's called them together in Christ. We are not strengthened by doing a whole lot of different things and embracing things that the world tells us to embrace and, and celebrating that. We are strengthened by celebrating Christ and pursuing Him. Doing His work. His work of salvation and the continued work of transformation in the Christian life. That's what brings us together. And that's what provides strength to the church. In a nation that is falling, in a nation that seems to be speeding at a torrid pace toward hell, it is the unity that we find in Christ that sustains us. It is the unity we find in Christ that illustrates the work of God and the power of God among His people. No matter who we read about throughout the Old Testament, and you can go back and read about all these people in this family tree. No matter who we read about, it is the, it is the direction of their lives moving forward toward Christ that makes them of value to the purposes and the work of God. The story that is worked out through their lives that points to Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for the sin of man, that brings them into the story of God, His purpose and His plan. God uses diverse people. He unites those diverse people in Christ. He doesn't leave them where they're at. Certainly, we come as we are to Christ, but we never stay as we are. It's funny, I hear Christians at times say, I just don't deal well with change. I don't know how, how I'm supposed to deal with change in various things. Life is a call to change. Transformation. We ought to be willing to deal with it. Because God takes us from those places and those backgrounds. He changes us. He makes us a new creation. Unites us in Jesus Christ. In the love that He's shown to this world. Kingdom citizens, those whom God uses are diverse people. We see as we read this family tree that not only are they diverse, sometimes God's people are difficult people. I know you've been there. Sometimes we can be difficult people. God delivered some from poor decisions and from difficult situations. In verse 3, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now, if you go back and, and read the Scriptures in Genesis, we find in Genesis 38 in the sixth verse, Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. She wasn't his wife. She was the wife of his son who died. 
Custom in those days was that when a son died and had no children, the wife would be given to the next son. She was given to the next son and he died. And so Judah sent her back to her father's home until his younger son was until his younger son was old enough that he could take her as a wife. And then when his younger son came of age, he said, He may die too like his brothers. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give her to, to my youngest son. And we read in Genesis about the things that took place between Judah and Tamar. She dressed up as one of the cult prostitutes. And Judah, who strayed from the commands of God beyond a doubt, impregnated his, his daughter-in-law. Not the kind of thing that you lift up and the kind of story that you tell from your family tree, is it? Those are the ones that we try to hide if we can. Because sometimes even the people of God make poor decisions. God were described as Ezekiel to Ezekiel as stiff-necked people. Ezekiel was told, You shall speak My words to them whether they hear or refuse to hear because they are a rebellious house. They had been taken into captivity and judgment. And still they would not hear the Word of God through the prophet. Not only would they not hear it, God told them before He spoke it that they weren't going to hear it. Sometimes we don't hear what God says. Sometimes we simply don't listen. It's easy for us to believe that we know better than God how to deal with the circumstances of life. And as a result, we make some poor decisions at times also. Done some dumb things. But regardless of what we've done, and regardless of what baggage we carry because of it, God can still work through our lives. God has still worked over the course of the history of His people through the shortcomings and the mistakes that they've made. The question is not whether God can overcome our shortcomings. The question is not whether He can overcome our mistakes. It's do we want them to be overcome? Do we want that history? Do we want those poor decisions to be overcome? Sometimes what we see in this society today are poor decisions that mold and shape a life. And rather than repenting and surrendering to Christ who can overcome those decisions, we double down on all of them. They weren't that bad to begin with, so we're going to pursue them even further. We've seen it in this country through the things that we've accepted over the past 20 or 25 years. We see it with the LGBTQ agenda. It wasn't enough for that to be, to be accepted in common society. Now we go further and we deal with the issues of gender identity. Now not only do we not know who we love, now we don't know who we are or what we are. And what we've become is a society of people who, has new, who have numerous shortcomings and have no desire to overcome those shortcomings. We see it in the issues we deal with today in some of our personal lives, even among Christians. There are things that come up and rather than getting the help that we need to overcome those things, wear them as a badge of honor. We allow those things to become our identity. To become who we are and what we are. We allow those things to identify us in the eyes of the world rather than being Christians saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We're all of those other things first. And Christianity is something that we tack on to the end of it. The question is, do we want to be saved? Do we want those poor decisions and those mistakes that we've made over the course of time? Do we want them to be overcome? Or do we want to be a victim like the rest of society and allow those things to define us? Do we want to be? 
Jesus can overcome those things. God has overcome every one of them over the course of all these generations. 42 generations, I believe, God overcame one mistake after another, one shortcoming after another, one sin after another. There is nothing too great in our history, nothing too great in our background to keep us from fellowship with a God who loves us, whose Son died to save us. Keep us from Him. No matter how great the sin, no matter how foolish the decision, there is nothing that can keep us from Him today. Are we willing to be saved from those things? Are we willing for them to be overcome? There are experiences in our history that have scarred us, that have changed us, that have hurt us. My friends, we don't have to live in bondage to those things. Those things can be overcome. The blood of Christ is sufficient for those things too. It can't be overcome. About a month ago, we lost my youngest sister. She died of pancreatic cancer. She'd been battling that since last fall. Over the course of her life, she had strayed from God a great deal. About 10 years ago, she came back to Christ. One of the, the greatest impacts that I've ever witnessed world. She became a missionary in the Dominican Republic, lived there for a couple years as a nurse. Every year, a couple times a year, stories about some of the things that she did when she was there. They continue to make an impact today. She came upon a man in a village one time who had tried to rob somebody else and they shot him three or four times. He'd tried to steal her motorcycle. Three or four times left the motorcycle on top of him and set it on fire. She found him one day in a village. They'd left him in a hut to die. She went back every day for months for him. We've lost track of him over the past couple years, but the last we knew, he was pastoring a church. Saved through the work that had been done there. A few short years, there was a great impact made as evidenced by a number of people who attended the funeral last month. I've never in my life preached to that many people in a funeral. But the impact goes on and on. Teachers from high school came because of the, the difference that her witness made. There is no life that is beyond the use of God. No choice that sets us outside of the power of God. My friends, we can make a difference. Because in spite of the fact that we come from diverse places, different backgrounds, in spite of the fact that we can be difficult at times, God's people are significant. Every life is significant. Every life has the the potential to make a difference in the generations to come. Four women listed in the genealogy before Mary. Jews certainly wouldn't have listed women in their genealogies, especially in the genealogy of the Messiah. Specific women and circumstances would have been offensive to the Jews. We've talked about the incident with Tamar. Rahab was a prostitute. Solomon was born of Bathsheba who had an affair with David. It says in the genealogy that she was the wife of Uriah. All of the women listed, with the exception of Mary, were Gentiles. It would have been an afterthought in God's divine plan. Yet their lives were significant nonetheless. The Jews celebrated the purity of their lineage and their heritage in the first century. God was interested in the purity of their hearts. Hence that they attributed life itself. Life in every person is significant. God used flawed, ordinary people to carry out eternal work. He used unlikely people to carry out His eternal work back at people like King Josiah. He became king when he was eight years old. Under the reign of Josiah, the, the nation experienced great revival. It tells us in Second Chronicles, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, he was yet a boy. He began to seek the God of David his father. And, the, and in the twelfth year, 
he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. Understand what Josiah did as a young man in a nation and a culture that valued age. Josiah became king at eight years old. When he was 16 years old, he turned to God. And in the twelfth year of his reign, which would have been about 20 years old, he began to tear down the high places and the idols and the places of worship in the nation of Israel. Now, think through this with me. Suppose you're a 20-year-old king in a nation that values age. And you decide it's not right that for these generations, these people have been worshiping in other places and following false gods. We're going to tear these places down. Do you know what would happen if the crops weren't what the people thought they should be? If they didn't gain the wealth they thought they should gain? If there was a drought or a famine that year? He wouldn't have been impeached. He'd have been killed. God used the most unlikely figure to bring about revival in the nation of Israel. Turn people back to Him. And God can continue to use and will continue to use the most unlikely people to make a difference in this world today. To be Christian celebrities, we don't have to have 5,000 followers on, on our social media accounts to make a difference in God's work. You know who it was that preached the gospel to Billy Graham when he was saved? I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure there's a biography somewhere that has that information. The point is that I don't know. I assume most of you don't know either. You suppose that person made a difference? Even if Billy Graham was the only person ever saved under that ministry, you suppose he made a difference? I think he did. There's no reason for us to assume that our Christian lives, though we're not celebrities, though we don't have grand platforms, there's no reason to assume our lives don't make a difference. They aren't contributing in some way to the work of God. We read through this genealogy and we read a little bit of detail and, uh, and something extra in a few of these names, but the overwhelming majority of the names that we read about in the lineage of Jesus simply say the name and who their son was. And that's all we find in Matthew's Gospel about them. Now we can go back to the Old Testament, to First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and we can gain more understanding about them. But as we read through this in Matthew, all we have is their name. Who their father was and who their son was. But they were significant nonetheless. God used them for His work. Mary was a young woman and a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus Christ. Beginning to end day that Abram was called out of the pagan land of his fathers to a place that God would show him until the day when Mary conceived and bore Jesus Christ, we see God use lives that are significant whether we know anything about them or not. God works in light of the big picture. He sees the entire, the entire genealogy, not just the current generation. He sees your life today understands the difference that it will make two or three generations from now. He's, he knows the difference going to make in the lives of your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren on down the line. For wonder, we read in Scripture read the, the words of Jesus that when He told the thief on the cross, this day you'll be with Me in paradise. We wonder, why, why do we read about a judgment at the end of time when we know on the day that we pass where we're going to be? Why do we read about the great judgment throne and all those things? It's because we know where we're going to be, but we don't know the full outcome of our lives on the day that we're gone. Until the end of time, we don't know the full impact that they've made. Or the difference that they might have made. God sees the whole picture. We look at our lives, and in America today, we're really bad at looking at the big picture. You know why we see nations like China rising in power today? Because they look, they look at life through the big picture. If it takes them a thousand years to overtake other nations, that, that's nothing to them because they look at things in light of their culture and their people. They look at things that way. 
We've been taught to look at things in light of what's comfortable today, what will make me happy in this moment. God sees a bigger picture. He understands the fullness of the story. We don't see it yet today. He understands even the significance of your life. On the church across the board today, and at times how difficult it is to get people committed to the church, to get them excited about the church, to get them committed to, to all the things that Christ wants to do and to the, the vast potential that we hold within the church. Too many times we spend our weekends at softball tournaments and baseball tournaments and basketball tournaments and hockey games. And I love a lot of those things, except for basketball. But I, I love a lot of those things. <clears throat> but even things that aren't inherently bad can become a stumbling block to us. When we forget the significance of the human life, when lived in the power of God, step with the Holy Spirit. We forget the significance of God's plan and purpose for us, of all that He wants to accomplish through us. We believe that they alone would be the ones to usher the work of God's kingdom into this world. From the very first chapter of the first gospel, that idea was dispelled. From the very beginning, we see that God has used diverse people, trained in difficult people, and that He's shown the significance of those people throughout their entire history. Someday from, from the view that we see in eternity, the story of man will be a long story of the lengths to which God went to overcome the fallen hearts of man. You could be part of that story. God desires for you to be part of that story today. He wants to use you in some way, make a difference in someone's life willing to be used by God. Leave behind the baggage of your genealogy. Leave behind the poor decisions and the mistakes and to let God start a new work in you. Let God start something fresh in you. There is no life that is outside the bounds of God's glory and outside the reach of God's love. There is no life that cannot be overtaken by His grace and by His mercy. The story that He wants to tell through the generations of human history. He wants to weave your life into that story to incorporate you into all that He's Doing. The roadblock, the obstacle, is not God, you and I. It's our resistance to all that He wants to do, all the things that He proposes. We're willing today. We can, we can go through camp meeting all week. You can come to the services. You can listen to the preaching. But until we determine that we are willing to set aside our resistance to all that God wants to accomplish, we will never live up to the full potential of the Christian life. We will never see fullness of all that God can accomplish in us. I don't know about you, but when the, when my life comes to an end, I want to believe that I had not. I want to, to go believing that I had nothing left to give. He's gotten everything that He can get from me. That I've given all that I've had to give. Wouldn't it be great to come to the end knowing that that's how we'd lived? That we lived and we died in pursuit of Jesus Christ and the love that He has for mankind. Leonard Ravenhill, the great Christian author. author had etched in his tombstone a question that he asked a number of times over the course of his life. It says, are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? How do you answer that question today? How do you deal with such a question? God, we're grateful. We're thankful for Jesus Christ and the accounts that we have of His life and His work of salvation. And we're grateful, God, for the ways that we see Your love and we see Your grace and Your mercy through those accounts. And Lord, in this account today, one that we admittedly spend a lot of time reading. We're grateful for the ways that you've revealed your continued work and the ways that you reveal that you desire to continue that work through us. We pray, God, today that as we begin this camp meeting, it will be a week of repentance where repentance is necessary, that it would be a week of renewed commitment, it would be a week where, where we commit all that we have and all that we are to your glory and to your purposes. God, we don't know how you're going to weave our lives into your work. 
We pray today that when they come to the end, we would see the fullness of your work and that we would know we had nothing left to offer. We've given everything to you. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to make that commitment today. Give all that we have, to give all that we are, the love that we have for you. And to live every moment that, we, that we're given in pursuit of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.